Our text this morning, our king, is recorded in Matthew chapter 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate one people from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place his sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick in prison and visit you? And the king will answer him, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So I'm sure you've probably heard the statement usually spoken at work when the boss goes on vacation that when the cat's away, the mice will, you know that one. Now, when supervision is removed, sometimes bad things happen. Workers get sloppy. They come in late with this fear of potential punishment removed. Sometimes true character is revealed, and, and those who are, are lazy tend to work less, and those who are not lazy tend to work just as hard, if not harder, looking at those who are lazy, rolling their eyes with frustration. And in our parable today, Jesus talks about a king who returns after being away not to find mice, but to separate sheep from goats. Now, usually as we teach about parables, there are three very important rules to remember. Number one, the first rule about a parable is that it teaches heavenly truths within earthly language. The second is that the main character is often God if not God in a big term, then focus down into Jesus as the Son of God. And then the third main rule of understanding parables is at the key of understanding, unlocking the truth of the teaching is usually found in the very last line. Now, rules are meant to be broken, and in this case, doesn't exactly follow Jesus' typical teaching. This is a bit of a departure. Rather than one key teaching, there are several very important pieces that Jesus brings to light, right? And the key to under the understanding this parable doesn't necessarily come at the end of the parable. Instead, it comes from the greater context of Matthew's gospel as a whole. 
And to summarize Matthew's gospel, the things that Matthew truly emphasizes about the life of Jesus is that Jesus is the son of David, the king of Israel. This is a theme that flows throughout Matthew's gospel. Also, that Jesus is this judge who will return again one day and judge the the believers from the non-believers, and the believers will be restored into the kingdom of God, the world put right, the unbelievers will be in punishment. And then finally, until Jesus comes back again, the believers of Jesus, the disciples, you and me, are to be engaged daily in Jesus' mission to save the world. Now, in that context, we have this parable teaching of Jesus, and there are three very important things that I want you to remember about this particular parable. Three things. Number one, the king is coming. The king is coming. The second big point of this sermon, of this, of this uh, parable, is that we are to be engaged on mission, that we are to stay on mission until he returns. So the king is coming, stay on mission, and then finally, you are protected by a promise. You are protected by a promise. First of all, the king is coming. Now, the king is coming in two ways. He is coming, his coming is certain, and it is soon. The king's coming is certain. He is indeed coming back. If Jesus is not coming back, what on earth are we doing here? Right? There's, there's really no point if nothing else happens, if the Bible's story is done at Revelation. Right? But God's story continues as He has gone. He's left us this promise that He will come again to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end, right? That's what we believe. That's what Jesus teaches, that He's coming back again. That is certain, and that it is soon. But something that the early church had that I think we have lost is this sense of urgency that Jesus is coming back soon. John, the disciple John, believed that he would not die before Jesus came back again. And so their everyday life was spent living out the gospel, living out the Great Commission, sharing the gospel with the lost. They had this fervency, this zeal that empowered them each and every day that I think that over time we just like… We feel like it's the Friday after Thanksgiving and my tummy's full. I'll do it tomorrow. Right? We've lost that. But Jesus is coming. The King is coming, and it is certain, and it is soon. We need to recapture that zeal for the Lord, the passion for His mission. We need to grab hold of that. Now, the King is coming. And as he comes, he's going to bring his kingdom, the kingdom of God. And I really want you to think, we've talked over and over about this, that the kingdom of God is the world put right. I want you to think of the kingdom of God of less than a place. It's not an address. It's not a location. It's what happens when Jesus is near. Right? The kingdom of God, whenever Matthew writes that, a better translation for kingdom is the reign of God. It's his, his kinging. It's a verb. It's not a noun. It's what he does. That when Jesus walks onto a scene, he makes the room better. 
right? There's people that you know that they walk into a room and their countenance, their brightness, that just brightens up the room. It makes the room feel warmer. It makes the room feel better when that person is present in it. Jesus was that same way, only to a whole nother level, like God level. Jesus walks into a room and the kingdom of God, the reign of God comes with him. And weird stuff happens. Amazing weird stuff happens. Like people who are sick get well. People who are mourning are filled with joy. Truth is preached. The dead come back to life. That's what happens in the reign of God through Jesus Christ our King. That's why miracles happened in the New Testament that we read over and over again, these crazy wild things that Jesus accomplished, not just because He had the power to do cool stuff. It's that when Jesus is present, the reign of God is present too. And when the reign of God comes in all of its fullness, everything that is broken will be put back to right. All the effects of sin will be undone, removed, and restored. That's what I want you to think when you think kingdom of God. Now, we think kingdom, we think king, and king is, it's, it's a tough concept for me to grasp as somebody who's in the United States. We have no king, right? We elect our, our government through elections, electoral colleges, they get put in place. We have a say in who gets there, not just necessarily who was born next. My mother's side of the family is all Canadian. They have a whole nother type of respect for the monarchy, and monarchy is something that's, that's been prevalent in this world since almost the beginning of it. And it's, it's, it's tough, though, because in my mind, I think, I think King Arthur and Camelot, or I think of, of uh, Tolkien's books, the Lord of the Rings trilogy with the coming and return of the king, or I don't know, when I'm really hungry, uh, medieval times for some reason. I know. But those are the thoughts of kinging that we have that go around in our minds. But maybe if we put this in context of American pop culture, it would be something like the Super Bowl, where you have two warring sides that are fighting against one another, and you've got the quarterbacks, the kings, who are leading their teams in conquest, and one will be named victorious, and that person is usually the MVP and coronated with a, tri- with a triumphant trophy, and everybody falls down and worships in applauses. Applauses? Sure, thanks. I'm making all kinds of things verbs today. That's awesome. So Jesus, he comes a bit differently though as a king, right? Because in our, in, in our working understanding of, of something like a sports competition, that's filled with all kinds of taunts and spiking the ball and jeering and, and, and making your opponent feel less than. And Jesus doesn't return like that. When he separates the sheep from the goats, his heart breaks for the goats. He's saddened that they will not be with him. Jesus comes as a very different kind of king, and then he sits on his throne that sitting on a throne is so incredibly important. It's, it's, it's like it's tied into this coronation event that, that this person has fought the battle, but in, in the movies at least, until somebody sits on the throne, that's kind of when the power is assumed. 
right? That's when, it, that's when it's real. Like the battle is over, but now the new king sits in the throne, and here's the seat of power, literally. And we have this picture with Jesus sitting on His throne. And, and John, the, the disciple John, in Scripture is carried up by the Holy Spirit to give this picture that He records for us in, in the book that we call Revelation. And we get this picture of the throne room of God in all of its majesty. And there's representatives from the Old Testament, representatives from the New Testament. There's people, all the people who have ever passed away in faith and there's all the angels, this entire throne room of God, worshiping and praising. And, and who is on the throne but a wounded lamb of God and sits on the throne? I, I can't wait to see that, to have that moment when everybody in that moment is singing not just any song that's ever been sung before, but a new song of joy and praise. And it is certain and soon. All right, so the king is coming. And so because the king is coming, we have a job to do. We have to stay on mission. Right? And, the, and here's where the difference between the sheep and the goats come into play in this parable. That, that God, the good shepherd, Jesus, the king, he separates the sheep from the goats. And in our parable, Jesus teaches that it's the, the sheep are the ones who did all the really nice things. And the goats are the ones who didn't do all the really nice things. And so it's really tempting to fall into, well, if we want to be a sheep, we've got to do the nice things. But it's a misunderstanding of that parable entirely. Because you have to understand it within the context of Matthew's gospel as a whole. Similar to the text in Romans that we've covered this past summer and fall. Right, that it, it all comes down to faith. And when you possess faith, the judge comes and judges your life. And with faith, if you've got all of your good stuff over here and all of your garbage over here, with faith, God says, I've forgiven your sin and I remember them no more. And all you have is the good works that you've done in faith. And God looks at you and says, Thank you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, if you have no faith and you've done good things in your life and you've done bad things in your life, you have no faith, none of the good things are counted towards you. And you're left holding the bag with all of the bad. All the bad stuff you did, all the good stuff you didn't do. Right? And God says, you're a, you're a goat. And I don't mean that in a good way. You are not the greatest of all time. <laughs> You're the worst. That's how this judging happens, is through the lens of faith. And it's, it's interesting to me that it's the shepherd who does the dividing. The sheep don't get to, right? The goats don't get to. Like, it's not like we're like, mm, I want to be the sheep. Maybe the sheep, 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 sheep. I'm going to stand in the sheep line, Jesus. We don't get to self-identify. Jesus knows he knows your heart. Instantly, sheep, goat, sheep, goat, goat, sheep, sheep. That's how he does it. Instantly. And he knows. 
and sheep as being sheep on mission, we are to share the gospel with all nations. Right? That's the Great Commission, to go and make disciples out of all nations. And how we do it in this time, in this place, with these people is awakening hearts in every generation to the power of life in Christ. That's just not something that we can do if we have time. That is our main job. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a disciple, if you have faith, this is your one job. Awaken hearts. That you wake up in the morning and you think, God, who are you putting in my life today that I'm supposed to talk to? Who are you placing me in their life that, that I need to live by my example in a better way that they can see what I believe, not just hear it? There's that intentionality of daily living out that great commission. And it's in this broad and narrow sense, right? Because all of us, as the priesthood of all believers, pastors, uh, parishioners, everybody, we all have this great commission that we are to live out. But at the same time, at the same time, there's a distinction between all believers and people that God calls into church work. And here's a distinction that Jesus makes in this parable itself. And it all comes down to how we understand these my brothers in the text. An emphasis, punctuation, so incredibly important. Case in point, if you're an English teacher, you've heard this one before. If you've ever taken an English class, maybe you've heard this before. Punctuation is so incredibly important. We see this at Thanksgiving. Let's eat, comma, grandma. You know where I'm going. Instead of, let's eat grandma. Same words, very different meaning. Grandma really believes in the power of the comma. And so when Jesus is teaching, this is an important distinction to make. When He says, whenever you've done it, whenever you've done these good things that you've been doing, whenever you have done this, for the least of these, my brothers, you have done it for Me. Here's what it doesn't mean. Whenever you have done these things for the least of these, I'm talking to you, my brothers and sisters, you have done it for me. That is not what Jesus is saying here. What He is saying, what the Greek reads into is, whenever you have done, whenever you as believers who have faith have done these amazing things for these people, these least of these who are my brothers, you have done it for me. Now, who in the world is He talking about? Every single time in the book of Matthew, when Jesus refers to somebody as his brother, he's talking about the disciples, not just all of the disciples, the twelve who would become the apostles, the men called to deliver the gospel to his people. And what Jesus is saying, whenever you, as the believers, as the sheep, whenever you care for and take care of your pastors, your teachers, your deaconesses, your directors of Christian education, your director of family ministries, your music directors, the ministry leaders, whenever you take care of these people who are sharing with you this amazing gospel message, you've done it for Jesus. It's too bad this didn't happen like in October for Pastor Appreciation Month. 
Thanks for thinking that was funny. And it has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with me or the abilities God or did or did not give me. It has to do with the message that comes out of my mouth, the Word of God. Jesus says this often. He's like, if you receive me, you receive the Father who sent me. And Jesus teaches that whenever you receive these that I have sent with my message, you've received me. You've received the Father who sent us. Right, so that when you, when you, what Jesus is saying is when you take care of church workers, Jesus is saying, I know that you are doing that because you have accepted the message that they have shared. And you're showing that you've accepted their message by taking care of them. Now, here, here gets to be a source of joy for me as your senior pastor. St. Luke's, you are amazing at doing this. I've had the joy of serving multiple congregations, but here the love is different. It's amazing. 47 years ago, the people of St. Luke's got together and recognized that there's a problem. And the problem was that men were leaving the ministry after retiring, and they lived in a parsonage, so they had no house. They had no equity built up. They had no retirement, no pension at that time. They had nothing when they retired. After a life of service to God, they had nothing. They were homeless and penniless. And so an amazing group of people here, over 75 years ago, said, let's start something where those pastors could come, where those teachers could come and live, and it would be a haven for them. It'd be a Lutheran haven. We can call it that. Let's call it Lutheran haven, and it was built. And by personal experience, I can say from 1999 until now, this place has loved their vicars. And I was told by Pastor Arp when I came in 1999 as a vicar, this place will love you. Just let them love you. Don't give them a reason not to. <laughs> but they will love you. And you did. And then as Pastor Sam came back from uh, seminary, he was here as a vicarage, went back to school one more year and came back. I said, you know, as much as they loved you as a vicar, they're going to love you even more as a pastor. And after several months, he's come back. He's like, you're right, they do. You all love your church workers. Thank you. Because that means not just that you like me, but that you hear and appreciate this, the message that comes out, the Word of God that comes out, and by receiving the Word of God, you, you take care of those who serve you here at St. Luke's, and you do an amazing job. I'm incredibly proud of you, incredibly grateful to be your pastor. When Jesus says, when you receive these, you receive me. Thank you. So the King is coming, certain and soon, Stay on mission, and a part of your mission is to serve those who serve you. And the third and final is that you are empowered by a promise. You're not just sent out to do these things all on your own. You're not just sent out as sheep into the wilderness without a shepherd. You are sheep with a shepherd who goes with you. You have the great king himself who goes with you and gives you his power and his authority as you share his message with the world. And the greatest peace, the greatest promise that He gives you is a blessing. 
Listen to this. Where'd I go? Here we go. Here's the blessing. Then the king will say to those on his right, these are the sheep, come you who are blessed by my father. And every time you hear blessed, especially in Matthew, your mind should instantly go right back to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus shares those beatitudes. Let's start with blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those. Blessed are you when you realize that on your own you have nothing before God. You are blessed because God pours into you all that you need. And every single one of us, you, me, all of us, we all have this one huge need above every other need in our life that shadows and dwarfs every other need that we could ever have, and that is to be loved and saved by God. And this blessing that He pours out, this blessing that He gives to you, your greatest, biggest need is He gives you all that you need. And He pours that into you. All that you need of His grace, all that you need of His love, all that you need for His salvation. And He pours it into you in abundance and equipped with all you could ever need and more. He sends you out into this world. The King is coming. Stay on mission. And you are protected by His promise. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are our King of Kings. Let your reign happen all around us. Let your reign happen through us. Until that day when your reign is in its fullness, empower us by your blessing to carry out your mission in this world. We pray this in Jesus' powerful and holy name. Amen. Now, as this week's weekly awakening question, uh, it's coming up on the screen right now. Use this as a jumping off point for your faith conversations throughout this week. How will you celebrate that King Jesus has declared you blessed? How will you celebrate? What will that look like in your life? What will you do? How will you feel? What will you say? How will you celebrate that King Jesus declared you blessed? Now, this week, as we remember all of the great things that God continually floods into our lives, it's a good opportunity right now to think about our gratitude to Him.